Welcome to the Bible Inspectors Podcast, a secular and skeptical approach to finding answers to biblical questions. I am Tyler Owen, and today I am joined by my co-host, Rick Johnson. Thank you for inviting me, Tyler. I look forward to joining you on this. Thanks, yeah. First, I want to thank you all for joining us on our first ever episode of the Bible Inspectors Podcast. The BibleInspectors.com website has been running for a few years now, and I've always wanted to turn it into a podcast. If you're not familiar with us, let me give you the quick overview. Christians often profess that the Bible holds all the answers, but even after a careful and considered reading, it can be extremely difficult to understand. We want to catalog those challenging questions and reference answers that others have given from around the web and around the world. Visitors to our website and listeners of our podcast can evaluate for themselves which explanations sound most reasonable and have the best evidential support. So, Rick, with that being said, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and why you're interested in this project? Well, currently I serve as the Unitarian Universalist uh, lay minister here in Burlington, Iowa. And in the past, I have been a uh, minister for a conservative Christian fellowship a good number of years ago. Uh, But through a various series of life transitions, uh, my viewpoint on religion and spirituality has changed to the point that now I am much more skeptical than I was before. Um, much more open to science and rationality. And uh, I am very much interested in freedom of religion, which uh, is, some might say, under attack from the more conservative side. So I I have been studying uh, rational responses to the theology that I used to believe. And I'm finding it very interesting. Yeah, it seems like you'd be uniquely positioned to do that uh, as someone who has uh, grown up in a faith tradition and even uh, actually helped lead a congregation in Christian faith. That that seems like that would be an interesting uh, way to approach the material now that you're kind of on the other side of that equation. I find it does help me. Um, I try to maintain a sympathetic viewpoint towards uh, uh, Christianity and towards those who adhere to it. And yet um, I do my best to apply reason as much as possible uh, to their arguments. And uh, especially in the public sector, uh, where we where they are attempting to um, influence curriculum uh, with insertions of intelligent design and creationism in our science classrooms, for example. Sure. Those are areas that I feel very strongly about since I'm also involved in education. Now, when you were back in your Christian faith, what kind of things would you do to approach these questions that is different than how you approach them now? Well, at that time, uh, there was a presupposition that the Bible was uh, God's word and was given to us by God for instruction for guidance uh, as a measure of truth and as a uh, light for our path here on earth. Based on that, the assumption would be that the Bible is true and that we need to use science and philosophy and other uh, studies 
to undergird that truth, to promote that truth. Um, it's a field of study commonly called Christian apologetics, uh, where they take the Bible and look through the lens of the Bible at these various other academic fields and interpret them through that to support the Bible, to support the conservative theology. Yeah, that seems like something we're probably going to run into a lot when we cover material on this podcast and, and things that we've already covered on the website, where many traditions and denominations will make that same claim that the, you know, the Bible is truth, that there is a way to discover how reality reflects that truth, and, but there's very little that should contradict it. But as we'll find out, even the many multiple faiths that uh, profess that concept seem to also still come to disagreements about how that text should be interpreted or how these Bible questions should be answered. So were there any, uh, obviously we're going to go through uh, and do this podcast probably on a monthly basis, but are there any questions that you were presented with back when you were leading a congregation that you found difficulty with even at that time um, or that you found yourself coming to a different conclusion than that of your uh, fellowship? One of the things that really undermined my faith in the Bible and in the uh, Christian religion was the question of the inerrancy of the Word of God. Um, as I started to study uh, the original languages, as I started to study the manner in which uh, the uh, canon of Scripture was selected uh, and how that was passed down through the ages, I saw politics. I saw blatant manipulation of decisions. I saw very much the type of arguments that I see in the modern time where it was not necessarily the accurate uh, answer that was selected, but the popular answer, or in many cases, the preachable answer. As I started to study that more, um, it was very much like water seeping underneath a point of sand, and it just undermined so much of my belief. And once that started, it, literally, it was a house of cards that came down. That's actually fairly similar to my experience. I also had issues growing up with the way that I saw the believers around me um, pointing to their faith and their belief in the inerrancy of the Bible, kind of somehow equating the, the text of the Bible itself to be God's message that he has preserved throughout, you know, thousands of years, presumably unchanged. And uh, I just... I, I found myself researching the, the history of the composition of the Bible and how it was formed, and that certainly had a big impact on my faith as well. And it's part of why I wanted to start this project. This is my response to uh, a problem I saw when uh, trying to find Bible answers myself. Um, one of the things you'll notice if you, if you ever are trying to research a biblical question is that if you type in your question into Google, you'll end up with a long list of web links that will take you to specific faith traditions explanations for those questions. But rarely do you get a site that has collected and compared and contrast those answers. I found it difficult to try to evaluate which one I found most reasonable. So that's what I'd really love to do with this project and uh, and to provide a secular approach to these Bible passages and interpretations, because 
uh, as I mentioned, when you search for these answers, you almost exclusively get Christian answers that uh, want to profess that this is is supported by their presupposition that all of it is true in the first place. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to working on this with you, Rick, and um, I'd love it if we would kick off our first episode here with one of the first verses in the Bible. So why don't you take it away? Well, the main verse we're going to reference today is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And our question related to this verse is, how old is the earth? That's a very active question right now and has been for probably the last, oh goodness, 100 years or more uh, with the rise of uh, fundamentalism and its uh, requirement that the Bible be accurate and true and literal from beginning to end. Yeah. What uh, what was your experience uh, in leading a congregation with this particular question? Do you uh, recall there being much uh, debate or controversy over this? And, and what was the your congregation's position? Um, our particular congregation was more open to science, um, surprisingly, given our, our relatively conservative belief on so many other things. But I think that was because there were a number of uh, college-educated uh, and uh, professionals in the scientific field. We had a number of doctors. We had a number of nurses, um, people who had been had been students of science and understood the truth that was put forward in science or the uh, claims that are put forward in science with the methodology behind them. Science, as, as we as you and I have both experienced, um, is self-adjusting. As evidence is presented, it adjusts to the, accommodate that new evidence. And it's difficult in a modern mindset to hold to something, uh, for lack of a better term, to hold to something that counters everything you observe. So in mm -hmm. our congregation, we were more open to theistic evolution. We were more open to the old earth concepts. Um, and yet I spent time talking at uh, some churches that were very much bought and sold on the fundamental literal truth of Genesis 1-1 of the accounts in Genesis. God began this. It lasted seven days. And the earth was roughly 6,000 years old because of that. There really are two main schools of thought within the various Christian traditions. There is the young earth and the old earth interpretation. So why don't you kind of differentiate those for us a little bit? Sure. Um, young earth creationism uh, is held by those who believe the, Bi the Bible describes an earth that is approximately 6,000 years old. They look at the days of creation as literal 24-hour days. They count the age of the earth based upon the age of the various characters within the Bible, starting with Adam and his children and their children, uh, the genealogies listed in uh, Genesis. They count those years, those times as being literal. Um, it's based off a chronology that was started by Bishop Usher and goes through the Old Testament and New Testament, adding up dates based upon observations within the scripture. They hold that this, the earth to be anywhere from 5,500 to 6,000 years old. So this is information that's not literally enumerated 
in the text itself, they're inferring age from other factors that they're they're gathering from the text, like you said, age of characters. Yes. Um, James Usher was the Archbishop of Armagh um, and in Ireland, and he went through the Bible and came up with a timeline based upon the dates of or the, the ages of the various characters listed in the Bible. He reverse engineered this and came up to a proposed date roughly of 4000 BC for the time of creation. And he got even more precise than that, talking about how it happened in October of that year. And hmm. again, he had a chronology all laid out based upon biblical references that he could identify and count back. It was a very literal interpretation of the text. And today's young earth creationism is based in one form or another on that chronology. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I, I always wonder how many people are actually aware that that is where the 6,000 years approximate value comes from, because I don't think it's something that a lot of people who are just kind of uh, tangentially uh, interested in these topics are aware of, that, that this is not something where the Bible claims exactly when the earth was created. It's more of something that those who have uh, examined the text are inferring from these other clues, so to speak. Exactly. The chronology has been, there's been attempts to debunk it, even on the fundamentalist side, trying to, to suggest that he may have overestimated. However, when we get to places, uh, for example, there's a recent article from the Institute for Creation Research regarding Usher's chronology, and they talk about new information regarding these dates and how he allegedly had uh, access to information that's no longer available to us, which is a common theme among young earth creationists. Uh, th this information that was available at the time, but is no longer available to us now. Hmm. And uh, they essentially confirm that his chronology is pretty accurate. It is a very inflexible view of an ancient text that may or may not be accurate with its dates. Now, how does that contrast then with the uh, obviously the older earth concept is one that is supported more based on our scientific reasoning which we'll get into more later but how do christian denominations who support an older earth how do they make that mesh with the interpretation of the text um they view the text as being figurative or have, uh, describing ages um, of time rather than specific day time frames. Um, they go off the verse that states that a day with the Lord is, is as is a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. And they take that and say, okay, it's possible and quite quite reasonable to look at the scientific measurement of the earth around us and conclude that yes 4.5 billion years is the age of the earth at least according to science right now and that the bible can find harmony with that if you are willing to take the stories as allegory or take the time frame especially as allegory um you'll find that people who hold to an old earth creationism tend to be less strictured on other passages in the Bible as well, except for the account of the birth, uh, life, and death of Jesus, which they hold as a linchpin to their Christian faith. Yeah. Uh, this is probably the main difference between adherence to old earth creationism and young earth creationism. Young earth creationists hold that if you 
doubt the biblical account of 6,000 uh, 6, years as the age of the earth, then how can you trust the account of salvation through uh, Jesus Christ? Old earth creationists look at it as that's the Old Testament, and we know that the Jewish people often spoke in allegory or spoke in, in a story form that was not literal, but was meant to convey uh, moral stories and uh, truths through their stories. We don't have to have a literal 6,000-year-old earth in order for the truth of the salvation message to be presented. So they, 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 they weigh science and accommodate scripture accordingly. I've been having a lot of conversations with biblical literalists lately concerning uh, these issues like the age of the earth and evolution. And uh, one of the things that I found really fascinating is that most people who consider themselves young earth creationists and biblical literalists, they actually will admit that there is text in the Bible that is metaphorical or is allegorical. So what reasoning do they have for picking this specific text the, of Genesis and assuming that it is literal? Jesus references in the New Testament the book of Genesis, accounts from the book of Genesis. And in the context in which they're related to us, uh, Jesus appears to reference these literally. Therefore, the young earth creationists, the literalists, if you will, uh, hold if Jesus is referencing these events as literal events, then we should reference them as literal events also. If Jesus is referencing them as literal days, which it does appear he is saying in certain quotations, then we should reference them as literal days. That's the guidance they follow. Um, again, Jesus was a Jewish teacher if you will, raised in a Jewish tradition. And he was exposed to the same midrash, the same type of storytelling that the Jewish people had developed for thousands of years. So it would be natural for him to fall into that mode of teaching as well as any other Jewish teacher of his time. So with these, with this particular example, this is, this is one specific claim about the real world, right? So this is, yes. it is distinctly a question of how old is the earth? Now, how correlated is that belief among Christians with beliefs like acceptance of evolution? Would you say it's like almost one-to-one? It certainly can be. Uh, There's a very strong correlation between acceptance of the literal creation account and rejection of evolution. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, The two simply cannot be made to mesh. One is obviously different than the other. So it is very difficult to adhere to a literal interpretation of Genesis account of creation and say that evolution is valid. Yeah. Now, those other other scientific questions like things uh, related to human development and evolution, I'm sure we will definitely have a chance to talk about those things, perhaps in another episode. Um, Mm -hmm. But I wanted to quickly discuss how different denominations fall on this particular question on the age of the earth. So the one that I'm aware of specifically embracing the possibility of an old earth is the Catholic Church. 
um, which I don't think, uh, I don't know how many people who are not familiar with the Catholic Church are actually aware that they are accepting of things like an old earth and evolution. Um, are there other uh, Protestant denominations that you know fall on a certain side of this question? Uh, what I have found is that your more liberal denominations typically do not have a problem with the scientific interpretation of, of uh, the age of the earth. United Church of Christ, uh, Methodists, Presbyterians generally are comfortable with accepting the scientific evidence and uh, agreeing that it is valid and treating the accounts of creation in the Bible as allegorical stories meant to give us the the uh, truth that God was involved, but not necessarily exactly how he was involved. And so their position is then that the story as presented in Genesis it was an attempt to explain these concepts to a more primitive culture and, and culture that didn't have the scientific understanding that we have today. Is that correct? Uh, that is one interpretation of it. Uh, they look at that the same way we look at uh, people from the 1800s trying to trying to explain uh, why you can't go over 60 miles an hour in a car without without dying. Sure. Or, you know, the people early last century dealing with Buck Rogers space travel and going, wow, how, how can he breathe out there? <laughs> um, you know, the, the anytime the human uh, psyche experiences something unknown or something greater than they are, it is very easy to start taking stories, taking building blocks, especially if they're already present in your culture, and creating a comfort story, if you will, mm -hmm. a story that will make you comfortable within this not knowing. Right. And, and of course, to them, from a secular perspective, that's how we would describe it. But mm -hmm. uh, to them, they, I guess they would think that this is the story that God provided his people yes. as a, uh, a metaphor for how he created things without getting into things like uh, formation of planets in the solar system and the size of the universe and things like that. Um, exactly. So this was a it was a contextualized story handed down, but very much a one that was representative of the truth of science. That's right. And as, as I think, as you mentioned on your uh, uh, question page, there's actually a couple of different creation accounts present. And more than likely, since the Bible was, or since the, uh, the Old Testament especially, was oral tradition before it was written, what we have is two different scribal accounts of two different regional takes on creation, both written and put together within the book of Genesis. And we look yeah. at it and go, one of these things is not like the other. And that's true. One is not. Uh, that's the nature of oral tradition, especially over a large region. If you are listening and uh, you want to check this out on our website, BibleInspectors.com, we do have a uh, question post for each of the episodes that we'll be doing here on the podcast. And so we've collected many of the different answers that uh, Christian faiths provide and we've also compared and contrast those with other non-Christian traditions. Uh, there are some Muslim accounts of the age of the earth, Hindu, and then of course we can get here into some of the secular answers. So obviously there have been many big questions like this where the Bible makes a specific claim about the nature of reality that 
is actually within the testable realm for humanity. Uh, and this is one of them. So uh, let's talk a little bit about how this belief has evolved over time and how it's, ha- how it's impacted the church tradition in interpreting this passage. The current accepted, or I guess best uh, measurement we have is an age of the earth of about 4.5 billion years within the context of a 13.8 billion year universe. So are, are you familiar with uh, some of the scientific measurements that have been uh, advanced over the previous centuries to get us to these values? I'm somewhat familiar with it. Uh, I'm, I'm picking up more of it as I go along. Uh, the, uh, the scientific measurements that I'm, that I'm familiar with are the radiometric dating mm-hmm. and how, how that has been used to uh, age the various strata of the Earth. And based upon that, a picture of a old Earth comes very clear. Yeah, it's uh, when I was doing research for the original uh, website post, uh, I found there's a really fascinating history to estimating the age of the Earth. It involves a really wide range of uh, models used to come to these estimates. There were some early models that actually utilized an understanding of Earth's cooling as it had originally formed from the various gases that composed the early universe. They understood that the forces of gravity would have compiled these collections of gas and uh, cosmic dust, essentially, and there would have been intense heat when they uh, all combined together into one solid body. And uh, at the time, this was back in the, I want to say, the the mid-18th century, um, where they were essentially believing that there was no internal constant changing of the Earth's structure like we know today with uh, forces like plate tectonics. So they tried to estimate how old the Earth was based on how fast that early ball of rock would have cooled down to where it is today. And mm-hmm. um, they actually measured it to be or they estimated it to be only about 75,000 years old. But they, you know, with all these things, as we went through the centuries, our understanding of the internal structure of the Earth and how it's actually constantly changing and uh, evolving, essentially, the those estimates grew larger and larger. Actually, one of the big reasons that they um, eventually had to re-evaluate their estimates uh, was because of Darwin's theory of evolution. Some of the opponents to that theory uh, contested that there was not enough time in the current models of the age of the earth that would account for the amount of variation we see in wildlife. Uh, so effectively, their, their current estimates of the age of the earth wouldn't be uh, enough time for evolution to have occurred uh, to right. result in modern creatures. But eventually, we advanced to the point of uh, the modern metric of radiometric dating, which, as you mentioned, this is kind of where we get our current understanding um, to the level of accuracy of within point uh, zero something billion years. Yes. Um, and there's there's many different kinds of radiometric dating, and this is often actually a point of contention with young Earth creationists citing the unreliability of these methods. And we're not a science podcast, and so we're not going to go into the extreme details of how these uh, measurements work. But we're 
just comparing and contrasting essentially what these different viewpoints are basing their beliefs on. And uh, so if you're interested and you want to know more about uh, how these values are arrived at, I definitely invite our audience to go check out uh, the various radiometric dating methods that are uh, currently used for those things, especially with one of the ways that they've arrived at these values is by actually radiometric dating of meteorites that um, only recently landed within, you know, last several thousand years or so, so that we have material from off the planet that is uh, not, that hasn't been effectively recycled over and over by the uh, Earth's uh, forces of plate tectonics and, and volcanic activity. So we have these more static rocks to measure that are the same age as the Earth. Really fascinating stuff. Um, but over the evolution of this understanding, then the church had to reconcile with this new evidence and this new information. Uh, are you familiar with how that kind of debate played out in the different denominations and, and when it was more widely adopted? Well, what we saw, I, I guess one of the big turning points within the Christian faith, at least here in the United States, with this happened roughly the beginning of uh, the 20th century. And it strangely came about because of the work of some uh, Christian theologians in trying to create a better quality uh, Greek uh, text for the New Testament. Westcott and Hort, two Catholic theologians, were charged with uh, preparing this new translation or this this new source material, and they used some uh, codices that had been in the possession of the Catholic Church. At that time, there was a distrust of the Catholic Church. I think that was reflected in our politics of that day, as well as in our theology of that day. And a number of um, primarily Baptist, but not exclusively, uh, ministers spoke out heartily against this uh, new attempt to undermine, as they saw it, the uh, authority of Scripture. And at that point, you, you started getting a series of uh, essays that would be compiled later on under the title, The Fundamentals of the Faith. And this is what gave birth to Christian fundamentalism within the United States. One of those articles dealt with the age of the earth, and it began to put together the, the logical construct that if we accept that the Bible is wrong when it tells us that the earth was created in seven days, and that Adam was this age, and that his sons were this age, and then on down the line that these genealogies are wrong, it will undermine our trust in the scripture and result in us discounting the salvation of Jesus, the, the gospel message of the New Testament. At that point, there was a kind of a line in the sand between denominations. Those that adhered to the more fundamentalist faith would adopt an anti-evolution, anti-science viewpoint. You could not trust this new science. It was coming into er new eras. It was not uh, trusted because it couldn't be replicated easily in a lab. You know, many of the arguments that are still used today against evolution, against uh, radiometric dating, more liberal denominations that were open to science and open to exploring these older texts of the Bible, which didn't necessarily undermine 
the Genesis account, but threatened the fundamentalists, these more liberal denominations were comfortable adapting as science changed, as science brought new evidence forward, they were comfortable adapting their viewpoint to that. Sure. And that is when you started to see a divergence, uh, a wedge, if you will, in the Christian faith on this issue of the age of the earth. And it has continued since then. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to quickly go back uh, to your comments about how these early church or I guess not early, but uh, these church leaders at the time that this debate was happening, part of their argument was that uh, if we allow this change in our interpretation to happen, that uh, it could have ramifications for beliefs in other parts of the Bible. Now, uh, one of the things I'd love to do on this podcast is to call out logical fallacies where we find them on on both sides of the issue, on on. Uh, from those who are uh, advocating for a, a religious viewpoint and those who are advocating for a secular viewpoint. And I think this is a, a really great one. The, it's a slippery slope fallacy. It posits that just because this one thing might lead to something else, that therefore it is wrong. And obviously these, these other more liberal faith traditions demonstrate that not to be the case, at least for them. They they find that the uh, the accepting a scientific age of the earth is not in conflict with their faith. That's right. Um, you can go for hours in talking about textual criticism of the Bible, and that really is the underlying issue here. Um, how you analyze the original or the oldest texts of the Bible, since we don't have the originals. Um, you know, when you get into things such as the accuracy of uh, the earlier codices, Codex, Codex Sinaiticus, Codex Vaticanus, uh, versus the accuracy of the uh, text base that we commonly call the received text, we get into discussions of which one should be trusted more, uh, which one could possibly have been manipulated by the Catholic Church or by uh, unscrupulous theologians. Those arguments really, um, it's, it's more or less tilting at windmills because we really don't have an original to compare it to. So you're going off of preconceived notions, presuppositions, and in many cases, political agendas, and interpreting the scripture to fit those. Yeah, uh, I think that is definitely a theme that we are going to see throughout uh, this project and, and looking at other Bible questions. Well, in this case, the Bible was supposed to have answers, but I think we still have some questions. But until next time, Rick, is there anything that you would like to plug? <laughs> well, I'm starting up a blog. Um, I'm going to be addressing a variety of issues, but I will also come back to issues of religious freedom, issues of um, relevance in the classroom for uh, things such as science, creationism, uh, teaching of evolution, etc. Um, it's going to be available at rjohnson.us. And I would invite our listeners to check it out. I should have things up and running by the 1st of uh, April. And I hope to have a new article in there weekly. Um, and again, it's going to cover a variety of issues. Please uh, read. Uh, feel free to comment. Feel free to engage, uh, both pro and con. The only thing I ask is you be respectful. 
Cool. Can people find you on uh, any social media sites? Yes, I'm on Twitter at rjohnson64. And I'm on Facebook at Richard Johnson. There's 20 million of us out there. <laughs> it's easier to find me at Unitarian Universalist Fellowship at Burlington, Iowa. If you can find our church page, you can find me. All right, cool. And you can find me on Twitter at Tyler Owen. And for more Bible questions, debates, and articles, make sure to visit our website, BibleInspectors.com. There you will find links to our Facebook and Twitter accounts to get the latest updates. You can also submit your questions and comments to BibleInspectors at gmail.com. We would also love to have you rate and review us on iTunes or Google Play. And make sure to tell a friend about the show as well. That's the best way to spread us around. So, yeah. Uh, Rick, would you like to sign us off with a quote? We'll quote Carl Sagan, who said, in science, it often happens that scientists say, you know, that's a pretty good argument. My position is mistaken. And then they would actually change their minds. And you never heard the old view from them again. They really do it. It doesn't happen as often as it should because scientists are human and change is sometimes painful. But it does happen every day. I cannot recall the last time something like that happened in politics or religion. <laughs>